Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is February 21st, 2023. Our series is Words for Life, and our word for today is Revival Presence. There's much about revivals. People are talking about it. You've probably already heard about the Asbury Revival. Others are claiming it's going to other places. My original word for the day was going to be transfigured. But I took the same scriptures and in today and in the talk, I changed it to revival presence because with these scriptures, it speaks of revival, and God's presence. And that's an important thing to talk about. So today, we're going to talk about revival. How do I know if it's real? What does it mean to enter into the holy presence of God? This is an important question in the world that we live in today. Because it seems that everyone is looking for some kind of spiritual experience with God. And I'm going to speak candidly today about this subject because most people have a total lack of understanding. And when I mean that, I'm talking about our weekly encounter with God. Yes, our our church services, our meetings, Most people do not understand. There's a total lack of understanding in what that is about. You know, many churches, they seem like cheerful, brainless tourist packages. And others are like children playing on the floor with a chemistry set. And it begs the question, does anyone have the foggiest idea of what sort of power is invoked by Jesus? Or do we really believe a word of any of this? Now, I know this sounds harsh. My statements can sound harsh. What do I mean by children playing with a chemistry set? I ask for your patience. I want to go through the scriptures and I want God to speak to us a prophetic word about his presence, about revival, and how we fit in. Today we begin with Exodus 24, verses 8 through 18. Exodus 24, 8 through 18. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. 
Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, they ate and drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If there is, if any man has difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So here we have a holy encounter. Moses is invited by God to go up and receive tablets containing God's commandments and the law. But he's also getting to experience the glory, the very presence of God. Now, I want us to notice two things immediately. First is, this meeting is initiated by God. God is the one who decides if he's going to meet with us. It's totally dependent upon God to reveal his presence to us. And second, I want us to notice the response. See, Moses immediately responds. He immediately obeys. He doesn't wait. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't ponder it. He immediately responds to the Lord. When you hear the stories of the Asbury revival that has just happened, and even when you look at other revivals in history, what you're going to notice is it begins because somebody immediately responds to God's presence. And we have to understand, meeting with God is dangerous. It is a danger zone. When we look at this scripture passage from Exodus, we notice that this revival with Moses didn't begin with just Moses. It begins with Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel, and also the assistant Joshua. It begins with them. They go up on the mountain. They begin to go up, and it says they saw the God of Israel. They saw the, the, the rock suddenly became like sapphire stones. It says the very heavens, it was clear like the very heavens. And then it says, but on the nobles of the children of Israel, he, God, did not lay his hand. It's dangerous to meet with God because he's holy and he's perfect. And we're so not. 
and you saw that you see this when when you get in this presence, you become aware of who you are. And of course, it says in the scripture that God didn't lay His hands on them; they ate and drank with them. What did they eat? And drink? You know, when you eat and drink with someone, that's communion. Jesus, when he instituted communion, it's not about crackers and some juice or some crackers and some wine. That's not what communion is about. Communion is where you sit down, you eat, and you drink, and you share a special bonding, a special fellowship. It's symbolized with the bread and the wine, but it, it's more than that. And and here, they basically had communion. God didn't slay them. When you notice with revivals that when people become aware of their presence, they, they immediately begin to repent because they are now aware of their sense of, I'm unworthy. And this causes us, what's communion about? You know, it's eating and drinking. But when Jesus used that communion, eating and drinking, he gave explanation of this bread is my body. I'm going to be broken for you. The, 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 this, this wine, this, this cup is my blood. It's about what? We're supposed to remember through this communion that God has provided a way for us to be there with us, that he's not going to lay his hands upon us. When the rest of the children of Israel, when they looked up on the mountain, it says that the glory of the Lord like a consuming fire. Something that will burn you up. See, meeting with God is is dangerous. It's dangerous. And we're not meant to rush into it. Notice that when Moses went up, when God said, hey, come up here and meet with me. Come up to the top of the mountain and meet with me. I'm going to give you the law. Moses immediately responds. He immediately obeys. He, he grabs a hold of the invitation and he goes. And then it says that he... Went into the cloud, it covered for six days. And on the seventh day, Moses called from the midst of the cloud and he received that, that law that took 40 days and 40 nights. But he waited six days and on the seventh, he heard God speak about, okay, let's do this. He waited. He waited. Our meeting with God, revivals cannot be rushed. They're on God's terms for God's pace. For God's purposes. I mean, think about that. God sets the pace. God sets the purpose. He sets the terms. We don't get to choose how to make it happen. All encounters, all revivals are this way. God sets the terms. God sets the pace. God sets the purpose. Is 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 His thing. One of the things that we we can be warned about is that and is and I've seen this so many times we experience this outpouring and then we try to make God repeat that process in other places. We don't get to set the terms, we don't get to set the pace, we don't get to, to set the purpose. When God shows up in a revival, it's not about us taking it somewhere else and repeating the process. You know, God can do what he wants to do when he does it and how he does it because he's the one that sets these standards. We do not. Excuse me. But what we do do is we can wait and we can respond because those encounters are not 
casual. And then one thing I want to conclude with Moses when he did this is that he was never the same again. Israel, the nation, was never the same again. When he came down with the law, they were never again the same type of Hebrew people as they were with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Joseph, or living in Egypt as slaves. They were never the same people again. Their identities were completely changed, and they became the people of the law all the way down to when Jesus came to correct some of their misconceptions of what they had become. But it changed them. I focus on this because when we meet with God, when we have an encounter with God, we are never the same again. If So our first question is, how do we know it's real? Well, obviously, you're changed and you're never the same again. If you can have, if you can go to revival and you come out and you're the same person, you didn't have revival. It did not happen to you because it changes you. Now let's look at another scripture, Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. It says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking to him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Then his disciples heard it. They fell on their face and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. This transfiguration of Jesus, this narrative, it it so replicates the narrative we saw in Exodus 24. Like Moses, they were invited to go up on a mountain. Like Moses, a cloud covers it. But then it says Jesus is transfigured. Now you can do a dictionary study. What is transfigured? What does that mean? What is that word? We don't go around saying I've been transfigured. It means changed, transformed. If you use a Webster's or some other type of dictionary, you will talk about you being changed or transformed to a higher or more perfect uh, station. Uh, they the causes it's a change in spiritual enlightenment that you are you are changed and transformed, but for something better, something higher. This is what a transfiguration is. And as much like Moses and Israel, they entered in God's presence and they were changed forever. But here, Jesus is, is transfigured before them and he's changed. And there's something that's a little bit different about Jesus's being transformed. Because you see, I'm going to talk about the disciples, Peter, James, and John. They went up on the mountain 
many times like us. You know, we, we want to, we want to have these mountaintop experiences with God. We want to have these revivals, uh, in God's presence. But you know, the disciples, they did not fully understand the fact that they were in the presence of a deity. Let me say that again. The disciples do not fully understand the fact that they're in the presence of a deity. Therefore, they are totally unprepared for what they're going to encounter. See, the disciples were Jesus. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, what was different about the Jesus before the mountain And when he went up on the mountain and was transfigured, what was different? Well, we can talk about him being shown and the way he appeared. And But stop. Jesus is the same. He was the same deity. He was the same God as flesh before he went up on the mountain. The disciples... Sure, they might have said he's the Messiah. Sure, they might have said he was the Christ. But he's just Jesus the man. And those words, they might have any type of confession rang a little hollow. They didn't understand it. But when they got up on the top of the mountain and they saw him shining in glory and he was changed, and then there's Moses and Elijah, they were not prepared for this, because you see, there was this part of them that they just didn't get who he was before. And Jesus took them up there to show them. He's bringing them there to show them what it means for him. That, that, that he is God. That he is this, even though he's human and he's come down here to, to be with us and to save us and to do these things, he is this person of infinite power and they're totally unprepared for this and so peter says something stupid like oh can we make some tabernacles you know what the you know the tabernacles are what people live in before they had homes when the israel was traveling around with moses in the desert for they lived in tabernacles see this is he's saying this because he's saying i want i want you jesus in your glory to live here in this little tent we'll make you a tent and you can live here and look here's moses and elijah speaking with they can come live with us too and we'll keep this glory this revival right here and it never has to change now that's stupid, as if Jesus putting in glory wants to live in some stupid tent that three disciples can suddenly build. It's really a stupid comment. And that's why the cloud and the voice comes down, and it's like the voice of the Father God, this is my son, listen to him. It's, it's like you totally they're totally missing the concept, and so the voice of God speaks. See, that's what happens when we enter into revival, when we enter into the presence of God in such a powerful way. Um, you know, he's not judging us for those stupid things we do in life. He's not laying his hand upon us. He's He may be a consuming fire, but he's not going to consume us like that. He didn't consume Peter, James, and John, and he doesn't consume us. Instead, the voice of God speaks to us so we can hear it. 
It's, it's mercy. Now, they were afraid and they fell on their faces. But when they looked up, they could only see Jesus. And see, that's what happens in, in, in revivals. You fall on your face because we come face to face with, gosh, we're, we're, we can be stupid at times. And God doesn't consume us. He shows us mercy. And when we look up, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And see, we can be very unprepared for revivals because we don't understand we don't understand that the same Jesus that is with us every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday morning, that same Jesus is the same Jesus at a revival. Why is it that you can't see that? Why is it when you go to church at your church this Sunday and things are happening like that? Why, why, why can't you see that? It's because you're like these disciples. We don't, we, we mouth the words. Yeah. Yes. He's God. He's everywhere. The Holy Spirit is everywhere and, and, and he can do miracles. We, we're mouthing it, but we don't mean it because we think we have to be on top of the mountain, but he's here. He's here. And when the, when the disciples look at a, you know look up at him, I mean think about it. In that moment, Jesus does what he's always done. He touches them. He he picks them up. He picks them up and he comforts them. God's presence is inspiring and full of comfort. He's not here to consume us when we approach him with pure hearts. Now I want us to look at Peter. Let's look at a, a scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16-21. For we did not follow cunning devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. See, Peter here in first in second Peter chapter one, he's reflecting, he's telling us about his encounter with Jesus. Because see, is that encounter with Jesus, this one and, and others, that validates his ministry, it validates everything he's doing. And note, look at the words he uses to try and describe the vivid images of what revival is. He's describing revival as a light shining in darkness, as the dawning of a new day, as a rising morning star. That's how he described the transfiguration when he saw it. And in that, quote, revival, the presence of God, to him, it was as if someone turned on a light in darkness or the dawn coming up on a new day. 
When you think about that, when the, when the light dawns on you, the old is gone. This is a new day, new beginnings. The old is gone. This is something new. Times that you can change your directions. The rising of the morning star is it's not just conveying the glory of God, but it's about the personal encounter. And you know, he writes this in Second Peter because he wants us, the readers, to experience this. This is written so that you and I can experience. He wants us, you and I, to have this experience. He wants us to have that experience the same way Jesus revealed himself to them, that God needs to reveal himself to you and I. And you see, the Holy Spirit is the one that can bring us into that same glory. He is the one. So this brings us to the question of questions. Are we willing to wait on God? Are we willing to be expectant for Him? Or better yet, are we prepared to be expectant? You know, we may not understand or know when, but do we believe he will come to meet us? You know, God's presence is always available to us. It just often requires our willingness, our willingness to wait on his time, to wait for him. Remember, he sets the time, the pace, the terms, the purposes. We don't get to decide when the revival happens. He does. Now, I want to just share in closing. I, I could end right here. I could pray and end. But I, I just want to share. I, I have personally been involved in many moves of God. Where God's presence is, is manifest. Where demons are screaming and coming out. Where His presence is thick. Where literally angels are manifesting and, and the healings and miracles you can't even begin to describe. I've seen such stuff. And what stops them? Well, most often it's the world system. There was many, I was a youth pastor for many decades and I've seen God show up with college and youth age. But you know, we always had to end it because the parents didn't want us keeping them late at night. We didn't get to go on for days and days because, you know, we had to stop it because they had school. And we as youth leaders, they need to be responsible and not let that go on. Well, if it broke out on a Friday and Saturday, you got to stop it because you'll be in church on Sunday. And as adults, you could show up and, and have something like that happen, but, you know, your boss says if you're not at work on Monday morning, you're fired. And it's easy for us to mouth the words, well, God will make a way. We've seen this at Asbury just this week, just on Monday, 
they came out and said the public services are over unless you're under the age of 25 and you can do that at night. But they're going to resume their classes. They're going to resume stuff. Um, the infrastructure of the town is not prepared to handle this. Listen, I'm not here to, to dog and say mankind's shutting down God because mankind cannot shut down God. What I'm trying to share with you is that God understands jobs and schooling and life. What we need to understand is that we don't have to go someplace to find God. I don't have to jump on a bus and go to Asbury. I don't have to jump on a plane and let's go to the Holy Land because I'm only saved if I'm dunked in the Jordan River. Listen, Jesus Christ is here with you and I right now. On this microphone, you're watching this podcast on your phone or on your computer, on YouTube, on Spotify, on on Amazon or whatever channels this is on. Jesus is here with us right now. And all you have to do to have revival, you can have that moment right now. Are you willing to wait and just expect? Don't tell God what he should do. Don't tell God that if you don't feel some presence and you start confessing up, it does not happen. Don't tell God if you don't feel something and fall over, you know, on your face or on your back and, you know, laugh or cry or you don't give God the terms. We need to wait and expect. And likewise, when we go to church on Sunday, whether your church is in a house with five or six other people or you're in a, a, a small a small building with a congregation of 50. You're in a church with 250. You're in a mega church with a thousand or, or what. It, it doesn't matter. We should go expecting, believing God. Could at any minute show up and do something? Because he's God. And we show up with expect on believing. I believe you, God. And having that belief system. Listen, if we draw near to him, he draws near to us. We don't see him move because we don't draw near. We don't desire. I have never in my life seen God not draw near to someone if we will turn our hearts to him. And what's powerful is, is that, let me be honest. Yes, things like Asbury, things are just, it is great. But God is much more happy when you you go that and you leave there changed. But you don't keep God in that building. You don't keep him in that place. You don't build a tabernacle for him. Instead, you walk out of that place with him living inside you, with the Holy Spirit inside you. And you go to class, you go to your jobs, you go home to your family and your friends, and you, you, you are the temple. You carry that revival with you. 24 7 and you spread it are you willing father right now in the name of jesus i pray that your holy spirit will begin to touch those who are listening to this god father i thank you that you've moved in my life in the past i thank you for revivals that you sent in the past god for awakenings you sent in the past i thank you for the move in asbury god but father i thank you even more that you're going to revive believers hearts jesus for an inspectancy god that we believe your word god that you would begin to show up 
in our lives, God, in our personal lives, God, in our homes, in our jobs, in our congregations. Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would begin to burn with holy passion, God. And that, Father, that holy fear, not a fright, but of reverence and awe and an expectancy that you can do anything, God. That, Lord, that we would live before you in honesty and purity, God, with our open hearts, God. And that you would not just touch us, but others around us, because you can, God. That you would restore in us the joy of our salvation, God, and the awe that you can do all things. And with you, nothing is impossible. God, revive us in our land. Change us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast. We ask you to check out our ministry. Check out our website at christianimpact.net. We do have resources. We do provide free training. Look us up. And until next time, God bless. Bye.